Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Hope Boykin is an exquisite dancer and choreographer. She also has a great intellect and deep humanity. In May, Hope Boykin retired after 20 years with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. Later this hour, we'll hear her reflect on the past two decades, as well as her next chapter as a dance educator. Outfront Theatre Company is presenting a hot new play, Diva, Live from Hell, a comedy cabaret streaming this weekend. Also this weekend... The High Museum is opening a major exhibition of works by the Ethiopian-born American artist Julie Meritu. Contemporary art curator Michael Rooks will tell us about Meritu's paintings inspired by politics and social movements. First... You're listening to 90.1 WABE member-supported radio. We're taking a quick break during City Lights to let you know we're in the final hours of our fall member drive. We're public radio. That means we rely on you. Your support is critical because 84% of our funding comes from this community. Please do your part and make a donation at wabe.org or call us at 678-553-9090. I'm Lois Reitzes, joined this hour by City Lights producer Summer Evans. Hi, Lois. Hello. It's important we hear from you right now because we're about to wrap up this member drive. When you donate, it's your way of saying how much you value the information you get every day on City Lights. So you might ask, why do we have these member drives? The answer is simple. It makes our fundraising efforts more efficient and allows us to get back to regular programming faster. Plus, it's a great way to hear feedback from listeners like you. That's why we need you to make a donation right now. Please give at wabe.org slash donate 
or by calling 678-553-9090. And when you make your donation, be sure to tell us what you like most about the station. I'm John Gilland, and I live in Talking Rock, Georgia. You kind of hear on the cable news sometimes uh, people shouting in a room by themselves, and I don't get that uh, with uh, WABE. They provide me a wealth of uh, factual, up-to-date information, whether it's on the elections, the economy, uh, whether it's on coronavirus. I I can count on them for providing me with factual, up-to-date information every day. Wow. Did you hear what John just said? Factual, up-to-date information every day. Hard to place a value on that. Just as John relies on WABE for news, he can trust many rely on this station for arts and culture programming. That's why you're listening now. In turn, we rely on the Atlanta community for financial support. If you are able to become a sustaining member, please take a few minutes and invest in your community by investing in WABE. Go online to wabe.org slash donate or give us a call at 678-553-9090. That's 678-553-9090. You've been listening for some time now. You've heard our fundraisers and thought, yeah, I really should give something back to WABE. Well, now is the time to do it. WABE is essential to your life. We provide in-depth, intelligent coverage that helps you better understand the world. And we can't do this without your financial support. So consider becoming a sustaining member now at $15 a month. It just takes a couple minutes to contribute to wabe.org, or you can call at 678-553-9090. You can show your admiration for WABE when you donate at the $10 monthly sustainer level. And as a thank you, we'll send you the I Love WABE fold-away tote bag. It's red and white and features the I Heart WABE logo. This lightweight tote folds neatly into itself for pocket-sized storage. It's yours with a new sustaining gift of $10 per month or with a single gift of $120. Please make your first ever donation this fall at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. The best part of donating right now? You'll feel good knowing that you did the right thing, knowing you support WABE's excellent programming that you help fund shows such as City Lights. We want to thank everyone who's already become a WABE member throughout this drive, but now we need for you to join them. And I do mean now, because we're in the final hours of this drive. Please donate at wabe.org. It only takes a few minutes, and thanks so much. The High Museum of Art is featuring a major traveling exhibition of works by the Ethiopian-born American artist, Julie Meritu. 
Michael Brooks is the High Museum's curator of modern and contemporary art. He joins us now via Zoom to talk about this show. Michael, welcome back to City Lights. Thank you so much, Lois. It's so great to be with you again. Ah, now, for those unfamiliar with Julie Merritt, too, how would you describe her art? Oh, wow. Well, that's a tall order. But for those who don't know her work, she's a painter, predominantly known as a painter, although printmaking and drawing is important in her practice. So there are, all three practices are intertwined. And she's become known for these monumental paintings, these massive paintings and cycles of paintings. Um, one in particular that is the sort of heart of the exhibition or the center of the exhibition is called Mogama, a painting in four parts. And the High Museum owns one of the four panels in that cycle. And why is this especially significant for this show? It represents a culmination, it, I think, in Julie's career that happened around the time of the Egyptian Revolution. And this cycle of paintings titled Mugama refers to the administration building on uh, Tahrir Square in Cairo. And if you recall, Tahrir Square is the site, the sort of site of social activity and the site of uprising during that revolution. So the paintings synthesize these sites around the world of revolution, of uprising, of social change across histories uh, across the 20th century into the present. Michael, the word omnivore comes to mind with Julie Meritu's inspirations. Would you tell us about her range of sources and subjects? Absolutely. And omnivore is the right word. She is uh, omnivorous, whether it is classical poetry, contemporary poetry, um, contemporary art or old master painting. And uh, her subjects uh, include conditions and uh, uh, situations that are urgently relevant to our contemporary moment, including migration, revolution, revolutions happening around the world, climate change, um, how global capitalism is impacting uh, global politics, uh, as well as technology and how all of these things and other things um, have an impact on the porousness of borders and boundaries in our world. And then she's omnivorous in styles as well that she incorporates. Would you talk about those? Yeah, she's evolved um, from the mid-90s to where she is today. And I think the exhibition brilliantly spans this arc of her career which is broad and when you when you see the exhibition and i can't wait to walk with you through it you'll see how it um makes sense in terms of her thought process and in terms of her subjects and sources for example the early works are related to her practice drawing and the invention of symbols graphic symbols that she calls characters and this came out of her desire to mine her own uh, ethnography, her own history, familial history, and who she is. She, she identifies as a mixed race 
queer immigrant living in the United States. And so by exploring that through these small drawings that begin to resemble maps or grids and placing these characters on X, Y axes in order to, to suggest some semblance of logic or rationale, she began to think about her place in the world and then by extension, actually, as those explorations on paper were extrapolated into larger paintings in the early 2000s, 2000, 2001, those explorations of the self were projected into the world at large. And so uh, she started thinking about how we, we as a community, as a society, can locate ourselves within history and the layers of history. So you'll see in these early paintings, which I think perhaps may be, well, I think they're just as well known as the newer works, these strata, um, these layers of information that are suspended in acrylic. So it's almost like they're fossilized, you know, sets of data and information that refer back to ancient civilizations and societies, but also refer back to our present moment and suggest, you know, uh, possible futurities for us as we we try to grapple with so many epic problems in the world right now. Yeah, her piece Hineni is based on an image of the 2017 wildfires in Northern California. It also alludes to the Rohingya burnings in Myanmar. Would you discuss the underpinnings of this painting? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you beautifully summarized some of the subjects that she was thinking about, some of the current subjects that she was thinking about in this painting, Hineni, which is a Hebrew word, which means here I am, referring to Moses' response to God in Exodus, when God spoke to him from the burning bush. It's also an expression that a parent would speak to their child and vice versa, a child would speak to their parent as they're making sure of the safety and uh, proximity, right, of their loved ones. Hineni. So it's a beautiful conflation of this idea of exploring oneself and the value of oneself in a familial sense, but also in a communal sense, when we think about how these devastating wildfires are displacing so many people and having wreaking such havoc on our ecology. Or, of course, this horrible ethnic cleansing campaign in Myanmar with the burnings in Rohingya. It's a beautiful synthesis, I think, this painting, of how Julie thinks and is able to bring together so many different sources that seem disparate, but when they are brought together particularly in an abstract painting, really do speak to the sense of our own sense of anxiety and how we cope with that and how we might picture and imagine the world, how we might imagine an image of this emotional state that we are all working through and coping with. Michael, she has many large-scale pieces in the exhibition. Does she work exclusively in monumental-sized paintings now? Well, not exclusively. So you'll see the new work, the format has changed. So 
many of the monumentally sized paintings correspond to sort of the dimensions of cities. And so they're either vertical or horizontal dramatically and are huge to convey the sense of this um, aggregate of architecture in the city. And also for, for one to become immersed in the paintings in, in, a, in a way so that they can become in their own imagination, almost like a flaneur in these abstract paintings that have uh, direct references to architecture of the past and present. The current paintings uh, are smaller and they're not uh, rectangular, either horizontal or, or square, predominantly square, and are to the scale of the body. And that has to do with Julie's shift from thinking about civilizations and communities and societies. So thinking in terms of almost like a Cecil B. DeMille-like epic of peoples and histories to a synthesis of those histories in the individual. And so the, the, the individual becomes center stage in her new work and it becomes about the body in space as opposed to bodies and polities in space. And, and so that's the square format that is to the scale of the body really does communicate that uh, on, a, on a really personal basis as a, a viewer, uh, as an audience looking at the painting, you really have a different kind of experience with the newer work. I read that Julie Meritu is a MacArthur Fellow. Clearly her intellect is full throttle, if you will. And her work is so layered and abstract, Michael. What challenges has that abstract thinking as well as the art presented you in providing context for her work? Well, uh, Julie is one of the most rigorous thinkers I've ever met. She truly is a genius. That uh, MacArthur honor uh, that she received uh, is absolutely appropriate. She is someone who thinks on so many different levels at the same time. And that's communicated in the work, I think. Uh, really brilliantly, and I think people respond to that, even if they may not be plugged into specific references or sources. Those sources can be excavated in paintings if one spends time with them, which, which one has a tendency to do when, you get, when you're in front of these paintings, you wanna spend a lot of time with them. But for me as a curator, acquiring the painting Magama for the High Museum was important because Maratu has reintroduced painting as politically relevant and consequential in the last 20 years, and not in, in, in a way that is different from a lot of other painters working today, a lot of excellent painters. But she's been able to consider the histories that we share and the histories that we're complicit in and how they are helping to shape history as it unfolds today and our unfinished histories whether they're revolutions that are still happening uh, and struggles across political struggles around the world, environmental uh, challenges that everyone in the world now faces. In her work and in, in her research and in all of the data that she collects and sorts through and combines, she's able to speak to, to these histories in a way that's philosophical, that's artistic, and that proposes alternatives and asks questions 
through her work, through abstract painting, which is really hard to do. Abstract painting is something that uh, I think we tend to respond to in a very um, subjective way. You know, we like it or we don't like it. It was, you know, we like the color, we like the shapes. It makes us feel this way or that way. An abstract painting in Maratu's studio, it is a masterclass in history and philosophy, as well as in poetry and literature. It's just so invigorating intellectually. For me as a curator, the painting is so intellectually invigorating. Uh, I just can't get enough of it. It's like picking up a volume of Gibbon. Gibbon, I, I refer to Gibbon because of the epic scale of Gibbon's undertaking, right? The decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And it's not unlike Julie Maratou's project that she's undertaken the last 20 years to mine history and to consider how poetry and the arts are intertwined in these histories, how poetry, poetry and the arts has spoken to and told those histories and what it means today. And to find, generate new meaning today and to question that meaning in those histories and to make propositions that relate to new futurities for, for us in, as individuals, but also as societies. Michael Rooks is the curator of contemporary art at the High Museum. The Julie Maratou exhibition opens at the High this Saturday and will be on view through January 31st. Then it will travel to the Whitney Museum of American Art in New York. We're coming to the end of our fall member drive so we need your support right now at wabe.org slash donate. This is the time of year when we do something special. We take a leap of faith and ask you to support the programs you love. You rely on us to bring you unbiased news and information, arts and cultural stories. We rely on you to support this programming. In fact, 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community. Now it's time for you to join the tens of thousands of WABE listeners who are members. Please make your donation now at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. 678-553-9090. I'm Lois Reitzes. Join this hour by City Lights producer Summer Evans. Hi, Lois. Right now in this hour, we're asking you to give because you appreciate and value WABE. One way to show how much you value the station is to become a sustaining member. When you set a monthly gift, say $15 a month, it allows us to have a better sense of what money we can rely on. And you'll be satisfied knowing that you're constantly supporting WABE. Become a sustaining member today by visiting wabe.org or pick up the phone and call 678-553-9090. Hey, I'm Elsa Chang from NPR. When you don't have the answers, when things feel chaotic or difficult, sometimes the best thing you can do is listen. On public radio, you can listen to experts. An aerosol is something that will remain in the air for long periods of time. Listen to journalists on the ground. 
I meet Jane and Jockey Paris in front of a maternity clinic in one of Nairobi's big slums. And listen to voices you might not otherwise hear. But the truth is, things like this happen when people feel powerless. And something has to change. When you donate to this station, you ensure that you and your community can keep listening. Here's how to give. You can give at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. At StoryCorps, they say listening is an act of love. We think that's true here on City Lights. It's important to have a variety of voices keeping you informed on news, arts, and cultural life. Help WABE bring you those voices by becoming a sustaining member with a monthly gift. Many people join at the amount of $15 a month, but you know what's right for your budget. So please give now at wabe.org slash donate. Thanks. Whether you're a first-time WABE member or you've given in the past, consider becoming a WABE sustaining member. That way you'll never have to worry about when your membership expires. And you'll feel good about yourself because you'll continually help to put new microphones in the hands of reporters, pay for things like our community conversations, public event series, and of course, fund programs like City Lights with Lois Reitzes and Closer Look with Rose Scott. To become a sustaining member, think about how much WABE is worth to you. We suggest a monthly donation of $15. It only takes a few minutes to make your donation, so please call 678-553-9090. Or you can go on our website at wabe.org donate. With a new sustaining gift of $10 a month, we'd like to send you a thank you gift. It's the WABE Dry Fit Baseball Cap. This adjustable hat is frost gray and features the WABE logo embroidered on the front with our slogan, where ATL meets NPR on the back. The WABE baseball cap is yours with a monthly gift of $10 or with a single gift of $120. Please make your first ever donation this fall at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. We need your support. We know you value WABE, so please take the time to donate now. We're just about to wrap up this fall member drive, so it is crucial that we hear from you now. It's an exciting feeling to know you've made a difference. Please go to wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. 678-553-9090. Thanks so much. The word diva has several meanings. Originally, it referred to a famous female opera singer, a leading lady. More recently, the term has been used for popular singers as well. And then there's the reference to any person who is arrogant, temperamental, or difficult to please. That is no doubt what describes the character in Outfront Theatre Company's virtual play, Diva, Live from Hell. 
Paul Conroy is the artistic director of Outfront Theater. He joins us now via Zoom with actor Trevor Perry. Welcome to City Lights. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Paul, last time we spoke, Outfront Theater Company was staging a virtual production of Standing on Ceremony, the gay marriage plays. That was in the final week of June for, for Pride Month. How has the transition to digital productions been working for you at Outfront? Well, it's, it's funny. I, I like to say that I married well because my husband has a video production company. So, so even when we're filming here at the theater, then we go home and we sit in our living room and work together as well. You know, doing Standing on Ceremony and some other work that we did earlier in the pandemic on Zoom, it was good, but it was really special and heartwarming to be back in the actual theater rehearsing the show. Now at the most, I think we had six people in our space, everyone all spread out. We're not having live audiences come back at least until the spring of 2021. And Trevor and I had a lot of conversations about, you know, this is essentially a cabaret, but there's no audience. So how does that translate into what the character is going through? It's definitely been a challenge. It's been a fun challenge, but there are definitely aspects that I have never experienced as a director before that we've had to take into consideration. And I know Trevor had a lot of um, times that it's just so different from live theater with an audience. Um, Film is not as forgiving as a live audience is. I think that, you know, if, if, if you're in live theater and say, for example, um, an actor drops a prop and they're not supposed to, they just pick it up and keep going. But in film, I think that an audience looks at that and says, well, why did they drop that? Is that on purpose? Because they're not having a reaction from a live audience in the theater itself. So we really had to fine tune a lot of things in rehearsals um, so that by the time we got to filming, it was just completely seamless. And I give all the credit in the world to Trevor. A one-person show is a huge undertaking and a one-person musical. I mean, they were just out there without a safety net. And it was amazing to watch. Trevor, you portray Desmond Channing. Would you tell us about your character? Well, Desmond Channing is like your typical high school musical theater kid. Uh, he has had a monarchy over the theater department since he began school, because at the start of the show, I'm a junior. Um, he's all the things you listed above about a being a temperamental, talented, uh, it's wickedly funny, but you know, he's just ultimately self-serving and it's been so fun to play him. Hmm. I read that you would like to dedicate this performance to your mother, Maxine. What makes this production special for you? My mom just had a really larger than life personality. She's, you know, she's very much a diva in her own right. 
just like I get so much of my like humor and my comedic timing and my, you know, a lot of the characters I play in Sage, so much of that is like channeled from my mother. She gave me so much like of her wonderful personality assets and I just love to represent her on stage and use that in my performances. Great. Well, tell us a little bit more about the plot, if you will, Paul. Sure. So like Trevor mentioned, they portray Desmond Channing, who is a high school junior who is in hell and for for eternity has to perform this cabaret act talking about the heinous crime that he committed on earth before he passed away. So Trevor actually portrays Desmond and Desmond portrays three other characters in the story as well. So we go through the journey of the events of what led up to the reason why Desmond is in hell. And we do it with song and dance. I mean, what could be better than that? I love it. Now, why did you only choose to stream a performance one weekend a month? Um, That actually comes down to the rights that we were able to acquire for all of our shows. So um, the upcoming shows that we have as well, some of them said you can only stream it for a certain amount of hours. And I'm a big believer in keeping things as consistent and simple for our patrons as possible. So all of our shows will stream for 72 hours. And in that 72 hours, people can watch it at 8 p.m. They could watch it at 3 a.m. They could watch it in the afternoon. We are very fortunate that these shows can be watched anywhere around the country and anywhere around the world. So I'm telling people, if you're here in Atlanta and you see our shows, but you have a friend in San Francisco or in Canada, you know, get them to buy a ticket and have a virtual theater date with them and watch some theater together and then talk about the show. This is a silver lining. Yes, it absolutely is. The other streamed performances out front will present will be bright colors and bold patterns in November and the Santa closet in December. Can can you tell us a little bit about those productions? Sure. So bright colors and bold patterns is about a gay man who's invited to a wedding between two other gay men and they have explicitly said on their invitation that no one should wear any bright colors or bold patterns. So the main character of the piece is kind of railing against why the queer community is trying to conform to heterosexual um, norms. And that, that is a, that is an honest toward divorce and that 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 is not a musical thankfully um and then the santa closet is a series of interviews almost kind of in the style of anna devere smith or the laramie project and it concerns a, a small boy who asks santa for a doll one christmas and then the fallout of that and it actually forces everyone in the world to kind of second guess what is the the story of Santa to themselves and what it means to have true acceptance. It's a very heartwarming story 
for the hallways. And both of those are also one person shows. Wow. This month, Atlanta is celebrating its 50th Pride anniversary. Paul, since you founded Outfront Theater, how have you seen the stories you share on stage grow or evolve over the years? I feel so fortunate. I always say that I may have started the company, but theater is such a collaborative art form. And and Trevor can speak to this too, because they've been in our, on our stage for two previous productions. And I, I, we, we get a lot of people that come in from outside the Atlanta city limits. I mean, we have some patrons that will drive two hours to see our shows because they feel such a connection to the stories that we're doing. And I think that that is the testament of what we're doing. Certainly, you know, the two shows that Trevor was in before were The View Upstairs, which was the true story of a, a fire at a, 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 a queer bar in New Orleans in the early 70s. And it was a very serious, somber piece that people really were moved by. And then last Christmas, uh, Trevor was in Christmas with the Crawfords, which was a campy send up of old time Hollywood around the holidays. So we're really lucky that we can stay true to our mission with such a wide range of programming. Paul Conroy is the artistic director of Outfront Theater Company. Actor Trevor Perry stars in Diva Live from Hell. The play opens virtually tomorrow. For more information on how to view the play, visit our website at wabe.org slash the field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You're listening to 90.1 WABE. We're nearing the end of our fall member drive, but there's still time for you to support the programs you love. Programs like City Lights. You rely on us to bring you unbiased news and information, coverage of arts and cultural life. We rely on you to support this programming. In fact, 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community. Now is the time for you to join the tens of thousands of WABE listeners who are members. Please make your donation now at wabe.org donate or call 678-553-9090. I'm Lois Reitzes, joined this hour by City Lights producer Summer Evans. That's right, Lois. We're in the final moments of our fall fundraising drive, so please go to wabe.org donate. 
Every day, we answer you for trusted information, for facts and truth. We also bring you arts and culture coverage like no one else in Atlanta. This is possible because the community we serve and are supported by are the one and the same. Because we're powered by listeners like you, WABE doesn't have to answer to the interest of advertisers, the profits of shareholders, or the call of ratings. You count on WABE to stay informed and inspired. WABE counts on your financial support. We count on each other, especially in times like these. With the most consequential elections in many decades just less than two weeks away, there's never been a more important or impactful moment for you to stand strong with WABE by making your generous contribution today. My name is William Ransom, and I live in Decatur. I have kind of a a personal history with public radio because my parents listened to it all the time, so it became sort of the theme of our our lives, the, the background it was just a natural to continue that as I've grown and been more able financially to help support things that are important to me. That is always at the forefront. Thank you, Will Ransom, and thank you for the beautiful music you provide Atlanta with the Emory Chamber Music Society. Concerts that are free thanks to a generous donor. We appreciate your donations at wabe.org. We know WABE is important to you, so please consider joining us as a monthly sustainer. You know what amount feels right. $15 a month is the average gift from our listeners as sustainers. It only takes a few minutes to give at wabe.org slash donate, or by calling 678-553-9090. You're a partner with WABE. You're family. Every day we do the best job we can do to bring you informative radio programs like City Lights, but we can't do it without your financial support. As Lois mentioned, 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community. We're committed to you, and we also rely on you. Please join the Public Radio Partnership and make a donation today. Call 678-553-9090 or contribute online at wabe.org. And if you've already given, thank you. You can show your admiration for WABE when you donate at the $10 monthly sustainer level. And as a thank you, we'll send you the I Love WABE fold-away tote bag. It's red and white and features the I Heart WABE logo. This lightweight tote folds neatly into itself for pocket-sized storage. It's yours with a new sustaining gift of $10 per month or with a single gift of $120. Please make your first ever donation this fall at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. This member drive is about to wrap up soon, so we need to hear from you right now. WABE is counting on your support, not just to bring you unbiased news coverage during this important election season, but also to bring you joy and inspiration and storytelling you won't hear anywhere else. We recognize that arts and culture are a vital part of the Atlanta fabric, so please don't wait to donate. You're thinking about donating now, please 
do so now at wabe.org or by calling 678-553-9090. 678-553-9090. Thank you very much. Let's start with her name. Hope conveys optimism and belief. Hope Boykin lives up to her name and delivers that message through the beauty of her dance. She's with us now via Zoom. Hope Boykin, thank you for joining me and welcome back to City Lights. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so, so much. It's just a pleasure to hear your voice. Oh. This year marked 20 years for you at the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. And last November, you announced you would be retiring from the company. What were your thoughts when the pandemic forced the end of all public performances? Well, to be honest, like you said, announcing that I was planning to retire in November was really, I, I still don't know if it was the best thing for me because it, it, it made very public, it made my morning very public. And um, I, was, I was coaxed into sharing this information because we're in a sharing world now. Everyone knows what we have for breakfast, how much you know, milk we put in our coffee, just because we share everything. And so even though the outpouring was amazing, I was still going through this alone. And it was such a struggle that I, was, I would count, oh, I didn't perform that well that evening. Oh, I didn't get a chance to do that. I, I'll have another opportunity the next time, you know? And so there was always, not always, but a lot I was thinking, how will I be better? Because I want this last thing, this last final, this, the, this, this, this ending to be at its top. And I was honored um, with a performance um, at City Center here in New York. And that was wonderful. And then we had a reception afterwards and that felt so wonderful and I was like okay so now we've made it past city center we can do it we can get to May and I remember I'd even asked if I could dance something that wasn't on the original schedule and that had been granted and I was so very excited to dance a case of you with Clifton Brown that final performance and you know so many little things people were coming in people had called and told me they had bought their tickets already to see this final performance and wow what a smack in the face now and I, and I and i say that only because as a woman of faith i know that there are things that i cannot see in my future i know that there are so many opportunities awaiting me but that was not my plan and when sometimes you just want your plan to work it doesn't matter what's ahead of you or what could be look you could be looking forward to without even knowing it you know that light at the end of the tunnel, the gold at the end of the rainbow, whatever cliche you want to use, it didn't matter because it wasn't what I wanted. But I will say, and I've said this before, that I thought I was going to have my last dance on May 10th, but I continue to have my last dance. I was able to be a part of, you know, this um, committee, dancer content creating committee that that Matthew Rushing uh, built as we were reaching out to our audiences as Ailey started to build a platform called Ailey All Access. I was able to uh, host Instagram live conversations with 
with my coworkers. We were, I was able to find out more about them. We were able to work from home virtually. I was um, one of the catalysts uh, behind Robert Battle's new uh, creation. Sarah Daly Perdomo and I reached out to Robert, got on a conference call with him and said, you know, let's talk about how you can make this, this new commission really work creating from home. And we would rehearse with him on, on Sundays, you know, for an hour. And then we'd write down everything. We would teach the choreography to all the dancers. I got to work side by side with this composer who was making original music. Yet again, I was creating a new platform for what I was not really sure I was capable of for a new work that would also be a last dance. And so it just, it just didn't end. And my official retirement date has come and gone. I'm, I still get to talk about the beauty of Ailey. So even now I'm having a last dance. So I think this is just going to keep going. Oh, that is fantastic. In one of our earlier conversations, I marveled at your eloquence. In fact, Hope, the first interview we had required not one edit. It was seamless. And when we finished, I thought, wait, that should have been live. Do you know how rare that is? And when I mentioned it to you, your modest response was, I'm very heady when it comes to words. I I, am. I, I like to write. Now, how has that talent informed your dance? Well, it's so interesting that you say it because there is a situation, like a personal situation that you know uh, forced me into this uproar and there was no one to vent to that evening and I just took out my phone and I started typing and you know using my thumbs to get my point across and maybe a few weeks later I was telling a friend oh you know I was so angry and I just wrote this and then they said well have you thought about dancing to that and I was like no I just won't do it but then I I realized that that is something that I've always done I've always needed to write down uh, a feeling. I've needed to express my emotions through words. I needed, I've needed to, um, you know, under my bed, there's one of those sweater, long sweater boxes full of journals and full of notebooks that I really didn't know I was collecting at the time. I knew I liked to have them. Whenever we traveled to various countries, I can tell you which notebook and which, which bounded book blank pages are from each country, but I didn't realize that I, actually wrote in the same cadence, that I move in a similar cadence, that I have been writing in a style for all these years until that outrage moment. And when I had that, and I finally started to reread those words, I realized that those words weren't just for me. And then there was another experience, one that was not outrage, but full of love and full of um, passion and, and I started to write about those things too and so I, I ended up putting them in a in a book that I, it's called Moments and it's a self-published book I like to say it's uh, um, out of my pocket productions because uh, it cost $43 to print each book and um, I sold them for 45 so I made a huge whopping two dollars for each book um, wonderful photographer Steve Vaccarello allowed me to use images we'd had in one 
big photo shoot throughout this book. And that was sort of the beginning of me acknowledging that writing is something that I love, love to do. As a matter of fact, I recall your saying, movement is just movement for the sake of movement until it is given context. How do you bring context to something that is essentially abstract? Well, um, one of my ballet teachers, uh, actually, she's just a, a, a life teacher in general. Her name is Gabriella Darvash, said there is no movement for love outside of American Sign Language or various uh, forms of sign language, you know, that people use when they don't have the ability to speak. There is no direct motion for love. But you can do you, a reach in a loving way, just as you can do that same reach in a way that displays hatred, that displays, displays loathing and disgust. It's all in how you reach to the person. I remember the piece that the company um, performed, Minus 16, by Ohad Naharin. And there was a portion where you go out into the audience and you reach for a person to come up on stage with you. But part of our directive as dancers is not to speak. And so it's how you reach your hand. And immediately it's your hand, it's your eyes, it's your focus, it's the softness in your spirit that allows someone to feel safe enough to put their hand in your hand. And so when you don't have those ideals, when it's not clothed in a, a beautiful costume or on a stage with lights, sometimes words can dictate movement. Dancer and choreographer Hope Boykin. She just retired after 20 years with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. You can view full performances streaming on the Ailey All Access channel. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily celebration of Atlanta arts and culture. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 11. Our producers are Summer Evans and Ryan McFadden. Kevin Rinker is our engineer, and I'm Lois Reitzes. I would love it if you'd follow me on Twitter, at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. You can also follow us on Facebook at W-A-B-E City Lights. Thanks for listening to member-supported WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org slash donate and become a member right now. And thank you.